You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Welcome again to Grace Community Church. Thank you for being here today. If it's your first time, welcome. If it's your 150th time, welcome. Glad you're here. If you're new to Grace, it will be helpful to know that we're in a study in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians is a first century letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at the port city of Corinth, Greece. Quite an interesting city. We've learned about this in our early days of our study of 1 Corinthians. Lots of people coming and going, lots of gods worshipped in Corinth, a lot of philosophers, debaters, really interesting city, port city. So people of all types in Corinth, maybe 100,000 people, that was a large city in the ancient world. So 1 Corinthians addresses several topics vital to church life and individual spiritual conduct. And it does so in more detail than almost any epistle in the New Testament, which is one of the reasons we are in 1 Corinthians. It, it is true that the Apostle Paul was usually responding to inappropriate behavior uh, in the church when he wrote about a particular topic. Today's text, uh, in today's text, the Apostle Paul is calling out the Corinthians for failing to grow in Christ as they should have. The years were passing and they remained as infants, as baby Christians. So today's text is part of a long argument that goes from chapter 1, verse 10, all the way through 421. For context... Here are some of the key points that we have addressed thus far. One, God looks at us differently than we view ourselves, and the difference is Jesus. And it doesn't matter how we view ourselves as almost nothing or as the greatest that ever lived. If you're on either extreme, God views us differently, and he's looking at us through the lens of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the contradiction and absurdity of factions in the church, this group versus this group, can hardly, or or based on the personality of preachers, can hardly be overstated. It's a contradiction. It's absurd for there to be disunity in the church. Three, if the cross of Christ is not central to our gospel presentation, then we have no gospel presentation. Fourth, without the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of those to whom we are witnessing, the gospel falls on deaf ears. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter how good uh, uh, an evangelist you are, how clever your your presentation is, it's going to fall on deaf ears without the Holy Spirit. So we are dependent Upon the Lord. In this morning's text, the Apostle Paul returns to the problem of factionalism in the church or the ungodly activity of dividing into groups 
based on different leaders' personalities and spiritual gifting. And the irony of this division that was going on in, in Corinth is that the, 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 the leaders were having nothing to do with this. It's not the leader, leaders who were driving it, but it was the people who were saying, well, you know, I think the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was the first apostle. Yeah, but Apollos is a far better preacher. Yeah, but Peter just cares about things that others really don't care about. So all of this was going on. Uh, so none of these leaders had encouraged the groups. What was the problem at the core of these issues in the church? Spiritual immaturity. Paul was about to say to the Corinthians, time to grow up. So our text is 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 through 9. It's our custom to stand as the scriptures being read. So if you would please stand. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. That custom, by the way, is found in, I believe it's Ezra, not Nehemiah, where the people stood in Ezra preached. And by the way, they were standing in the rain, a hard driving rain. So thank the Lord for this, this building. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, I, the Apostle Paul, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? <clears throat> what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. <clears throat> so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. Bert Wallace, who led our time at the Lord's table this morning, had a conversation this week. Bert and I had a conversation this week about the ever changing ways of language. The meaning of words, the rules of grammar shift over time, often driven by the culture. And it's not always right or wrong. It just, it's like nails on a chalkboard for some of you when you hear things that you learned as a child and now the language has just changed. It's not wrong. It's just different. Um, <clears throat> some words, though, lose their punch when the meaning of this particular word changes over time. It's replaced by words that are perhaps less offensive, but also less meaningful. This is not only unfortunate when it happens in the Christian world, it is often dangerous. We no longer preach the gospel, we share it. 
We do not warn people of hell. We warn them of, of separation from God for eternity. But look, if someone doesn't care to have anything to do with God, doesn't want God in his or her life, it's not all that big a deal to say, hey, you're going to be separated from God for eternity if, you're, if you don't trust Christ. The word in focus today is spiritual. One is no longer a spiritual Christian. He is a solid believer or she is a committed disciple. Now, what's the big fuss? We're disciples, right? We're believers. Yes. But we are also either spiritual or fleshly, carnal, worldly, as some of your translations will say. In chapter 2, the distinction that Paul makes is between the natural man and the spiritual man, the unbeliever and the believer. In chapter 3, the distinction is between two types of believers. There are spiritual believers or worldly believers, uh, carnal believers. Since the term spiritually was so clearly defined in chapter 2 as one whose eyes have been opened by the Lord. It's not something you can work up in yourself, but it's something that the Lord does. He opens our eyes. Uh, then the emphasis is on the work that God does in a believer's life. The fleshly or a worldly believer, although a genuine believer, is like a baby in the faith. Now, I know that the emphasis on God doing his work in our lives could be misunderstood to say that we really have nothing to do. So we just have to sit around. We do what we're going to do, and then maybe the Lord will lead us to do the right thing. To clarify, we are absolutely responsible for our behavior and our actions, to be sure. But unless our identity in Christ, I appreciated Jill using that Connection. Our identity in Christ is uh, our is driving our actions. Then we're a little different than the Pharisees. It ultimately becomes about law if the Lord is not working through us by the Holy Spirit, making us more like Jesus. It's better to overstate. The Lord's role in both our justification and in our sanctification that it is to understate it. You know, you can say, oh, well, you don't do anything. You're so connected to the Spirit or so interested. No, we do have responsibilities, but don't ever understate the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. And then Paul's going to say, but you're really behaving badly here. In, in verse 1, Paul begins this section by calling the Corinthians... Brothers, so clearly he considers them to be followers of Christ. He then adds, though, I could not address you as those who are spiritual in the way that believers should be, but as people of the flesh. Now, the term flesh comes from the Greek word sarkinos, and it means made of the flesh, or as it will say with other Greek words a little bit later in the text, the idea is merely human. I couldn't address you as those whose lives have been completely altered and directed by the Spirit, but as those who were merely human. That's 
who you were before you knew Jesus. Why are you still acting as though you're just a human? It's why, look, it's why we must be careful with contentious political and social debates, lest we behave as merely human, both inside and outside the church. Here you are, brothers and sisters, Paul chided, as those whose eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit to the gospel, yet you're acting like any other human would act. So let me say to you, go back to the cross, back to the basics. Now, that's always good advice for us. Back to the cross, back to the basics. But hopefully we can learn from the Corinthians' mistakes and avoid being told that we're acting like babies. The gospel has deep and profound implications, but when believers who should be mature are acting childish or worse, one is forced to revert <coughs> to the simplest forms of preaching the gospel. What, wouldn't you say, doesn't it feel harsh to you for Paul to call these Christians babies? Well, there was a lot at stake when this letter was written. I mean, the Apostle Paul needed to be teaching the deep things of God to this first generation of believers. They were the first in the world. And yet, he had to go back to the basic elements of the gospel until they were prepared for more substantive teaching. Now, Lee and Stacy have a brand new one. We got other brand new ones coming before long. Lee and Stacy are probably not going to say, what's wrong with you, Marshall Lee? Drinking milk. Come on. But now if Isadora was still drinking, that's all she drank, then you'd be saying, come on, girl. We got we to move you along. So was Paul being a bully? A lot of that going on today. And, and, and in no means, let me say now, I'll say it later. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Was he being a bully? Or was he properly expressing the Lord's displeasure with failure of the Corinthians to progress more than, he, more than they had? As an apostle whose writings we understand to be scripture, you know the answer. Lest you think I'm making a case for allowing a pastor to say anything that he wants. And by the way, the larger the church the easier it is for a pastor to become a bully. Not all pastors of large churches are that way by any means. But when it's a smaller church and the elders are doing their job properly, that should keep from happening. Pray for those in large churches that you know that are preaching the gospel because lest they be... Uh, susceptible to this teaching but it's also true in small churches the pastor can be the bully but don't unless you think i'm saying that when paul, paul spoke of the debaters of this age in chapter one he was condemning bullying but a leader of the church pointing out sinful behavior is no more behavior is no more bullying than when a, a member asks a question about a leader's decision is being rebellious it is the spirit with which we approach such disagreements that matters. And when I say spirit, 
That's as much capital S spirit as it is little s spirit. So what was the behavior that provoked God's frustration that came through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians? Factionalism. This group only watches Fox News and reads Daily Wire. The other group only watches CNN and and reads Axios. And those who are in the middle read, well, there's really nothing in the middle these days, is it? That's just the world, right? Yeah, but that's the problem. When it's this way or that way in the church. Because when that's the case, be careful lest we be merely human in the way that we're approaching this life. Let's read these first four verses again. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. For you were still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human manner or a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, I follow Tim Keller, I follow John MacArthur, are you not being merely human? Simply stated, the spirit of debate that was allowed to exist in Corinth had been brought into the church. Now, let me make it clear, there was not a lot of political dissent in Corinth because it wasn't allowed in the Roman Empire. It was brutally oppressed. But there were philosophical debates aplenty. And the Corinthians had baptized these ways of the world and sought to make them Christian. And it led them to say, my guy is better than your guy. I don't want to dwell long here, but trust me, and it's going to be part of the text next week. If I, I'm thinking about not staying in First Corinthians next week on VBS Sunday, I think it might be appropriate for us to take a little diversion. And then I might switch it around a little bit in August because the kids are going to be in here and we're going to be looking at First Corinthians 7. And I think that would be better to wait for a later time. But you can do it with 1 Corinthians. But, but, but this is going to pop up in chapter later in chapter 3 and, and in chapter 4. But trust me, as a lifelong observer of ministry life and the life of believers, and, and this includes hundreds, observing hundreds of churches while I was at TVR for 20 years. And my almost 24 years here as pastor. And talking with other pastors about church. And see, seeing all the things that go on in, in different churches. I have seen the devastation that disunity in churches causes. Surely division harms pastors and other full-time staff members and their kids, especially their kids. And even as I was writing this, I was thinking, 
You know, it does make sense to preach 1 Corinthians when you're coming in or when you're leaving. But if I'm speaking on behalf of ministers, it hurts those people. And you can't imagine what it does to their kids. But you know who gets hurt the most? Not only the testimony, also the testimony in the community. But you know who gets hurt the most? The ones who stir up the division. A lot of times they leave church and they never come back. They're hurt because people didn't follow them. They followed the other guy's leader instead of their guy's leader. Should some leaders be removed? Absolutely they should. But be very careful how you go about doing that. Best let the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, do that. There are good reasons for believers to leave a church. But there are rarely good reasons to create dissension in the church by favoring one leader over another. In verses 5 to 9, Paul employs the first of two analogies to make his point that Jesus is the focus of our worship and we are his servants. You don't have six foremen on the job. We are all his servants. In verse 5, notice Paul does not ask who is Apollos and who is Paul, but rather he asks what is Apollos? What is Paul? Point taken. The first analogy Paul uses for church leadership is an agricultural one. I planted, Apollos watered, but only God makes the seed grow into a plant and flourish, produce fruit. The members of Corinth church gave far too much credit to their teachers. God is the one who will grow his church. The leaders are merely servants of Jesus, using the gifts that God has given them to serve Jesus and to serve the people of the church. We have an example in Jesus who said in Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Follow my example, he was saying in that text. God used Paul to lead people to faith, and Apollos Help them to grow as believers. But Paul said we're only like farmers who, who plant and water and pull weeds. But we know that only God is going to be the one that decides whether we have a good crop or not. <clears throat> By the way, it's this text that helps me see also. It's just an application. It's surely not the, the primary focus here. But we often receive the gospel in bits and pieces, and we can share it in bits and pieces. The great tools that we have been given in the 20th century, the four spiritual laws, the Roman road, and all the different ways we have to help people understand the gospel are are really a big help. But ultimately, people don't usually get it all in one sitting. It takes a while. And that's this process that he's talking about here. But in in this particular text, Paul is essentially saying, look, it's, it's not a work of man, even though God uses us and even though it won't happen if we don't do our jobs. Still, this is a work of God. 
Had Paul been willing to take credit for the work that God was doing in church members' lives, he might have been okay with the factions. Knowing that it was God who had done the work, though, Paul was horrified that so much acclaim was given to the leaders and that it caused strife in the church. In verse 9, Paul made sure to elevate God to his proper status and for us to understand our role in his work. We are God's fellow workers, Paul said of himself and Apollos. You are God's fill, God's building. He didn't make a dis- or he did make a distinction, I'm sorry, between the leaders of the church and the congregation. But the distinction only identified places of service, not a hierarchy of importance. All of us belong to God. All of this belongs to God. As today's text is one of uh, one long focus in the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, and since it is especially tied to next week's text, The application today draws on the greater context. So three thoughts, beginning with all meaningful service to our community and to the world begins at home. I don't know if you've noticed, I think I pointed it out not too long ago, so maybe you have. But almost every Sunday at some point, David Calvert will give our purpose statement for Grace Community Church. Often he does this during a prayer. We are called to exalt the Lord, establish believers, and engage the world with the gospel. This statement is a summary of Article 2 in our church constitution and bylaws. So here's the question I always ask during Grace Connection class. And so hopefully you've heard this before and you remember it. Is there a priority in this order? Is it like this or are we to be focusing on all three things at the same time? That answer is too easy. It's yes. While we should simultaneously pursue all three areas of focus, if we're not praising and exalting the Lord here, what are we doing? Aren't there better things we could do? And and furthermore, if, if we are not growing as believers, do we really want to invite unbelievers to come into our mess? I don't think so. We need to exalt the Lord, establish believers, and engage the world with the good news of Jesus Christ or with the gospel. If there is a lack of unity in the body, we're acting like mere humans. So once again, not only couldn't we, but couldn't those that we invite to church spend their time better somewhere else on Sunday morning if we're not caring about growing as believers. On Friday night, the storm that blew through our area, and it was a big storm, wasn't it? Uh, Some of you were without power for a while. But the storm that blew through our area blew a tree onto Ron and Mary Gautry's uh, porch, and it damaged the roof, and it was quite a bit of trouble. Ron texted to, to tell me what had happened, and he said, some, you know, we got some people over here. Allison and I were uh, hosting uh, Aaron and Faith on Sunday, uh, Friday night 
But when Ron was telling me Ben McGuire's son-in-law, Steven Eisenberg were over there and others were over there, I knew they were in good hands. I mean, any good project like that can always use a pointer, and that's one of my spiritual gifts, you know. Hey, hey, over here, over here. But I thought, well, they are in good hands. And you know what? This is the kind of story that travels. John Bart, Aaron, there were so many people over there that time. It's only one of dozens, even hundreds of such stories that I have heard over the years here at Grace. So why, why would I bring it up to brag? No, no. I, typically, I would not report that kind of a story lest it sound like that very thing. But it fits in the truth and the application of the text. You remember the words of Jesus in John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving one another well, taking care of one another is a powerful form of evangelism that sometimes leads those who do not know Christ to ask, what is it? makes you so different. By the way, that's sort of the idea. First Peter 3.15, be ready at all times. It's not take an apologetics class and go out there and witness, although that's a great thing to do. That, no problem with that at all. But what it is is know how to give an answer when somebody says, what's up with this? What's up with you guys? I don't understand. You're willing to die for your faith? They said in the first century, you'll go to the, the, the trash heaps and pick up a a baby that's destined to be eaten by the wild dogs and wolves in the area. You'll, you'll take them home and raise them somebody else's discarded trash you see as valuable. You bring that life. You fast one day a week. And the money that you would have used for food, you give to the poor. What makes you so different? Why? As the question has already been asked. Why? How in the world? I've never seen anything like that many people there that quickly to take care of one of our own or one of your own. We're not meant to be promoting ourselves, but rather we are meant to point to Jesus by loving one another well. Preach the gospel. I started to say share the gospel. Preach the gospel. Yes, absolutely. To your neighbors, to your family, to others. But when they know what you've got to say and they don't want to hear it anymore, back off a little bit and show them the benefit, the beauty of being in the family of God that takes care of itself. And that's a good segue for our second point. Remember, Grace Community Church belongs to God. We are servants of Jesus Christ. Now, this can be trickier than you might think. I'm certain that the different factions of believers at Corinth 
thought that they needed to protect the glory of God from the other groups who were parading around, or as my mother would have said, sashaying around, promoting their favorite leader. Once again, can you imagine how bad it would have been if the leaders had loaned their names and their voices to the activity that existed? The leaders weren't having it, but it didn't seem to stop the people anyway. In rather quick order, if the leaders had said, yeah, yeah, I think our way is better, let's... Let's see if we can convince the others or, if necessary, run them off. In very short order, there would have been a new Corinth church, and then it would have been only a matter of time to have the Harmony Corinth church, and after that, the new Harmony Corinth church. But there was only one church according to God's design. And Paul said, essentially, You need to quit acting like babies, arguing with one another, comparing one another, so that the world can see what is true. This church is not man-made, but rather, it is the work of God. All of this belongs to God. We all belong to God. Leaders, followers, old family members, new family members. It's God's. And for that, we give Him praise. Wonder if we could begin each day this week by saying to the Lord something along the lines of, Fathers, had you not opened my eyes to the truth of the gospel, I wouldn't belong to you. I would have no hope of eternity as I struggle to find meaning in this world that is passing away. But you have saved me and placed me in a remarkable family. One that will be there for me if I need them just like they were there for Ron and Mary on Friday night. Please let me never lose focus and seek to gain glory for myself or to give glory to another one other than you. I am yours, Lord No matter where you place me in the field, no matter where my station is in the building, of which Christ is the foundation, let my love for my brothers and sisters grow. And may we, as the family you designed us to be, glorify your name as Jesus is exalted in our midst. In his name. Amen. Wouldn't it be something if we all prayed that? Could you remind me tomorrow? I might forget. That would be a good prayer for us. Last. Strive to be led by the Holy Spirit into a mature Christian walk with the Lord and with your brothers and sisters in the body. That seems contradictory, doesn't it? You, you hear this in the book of Hebrews. Strive to enter the rest that God has prepared for you. Strive, expend effort, work hard to allow the Spirit to lead you. 
There are a few places in the New Testament that describe the battle between the Holy Spirit and the flesh in a believer's life, with the best one of those, I think, being found in Galatians chapter 5. It's either verse 13 or 16. Um, says that walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he goes on to say, the spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would do. If you're walking in the spirit, the flesh is going to always look appealing. If you're walking in the flesh as a believer, you're going to say, oh, I wish I were walking in the spirit. There is a constant battle going on and we need to work at being led by the Spirit. Think of the flesh as a great imitator. When we get saved, especially those of you who were saved when you were a little bit older in life, you remember this, or you remember when you turned your life over to the Lord. You were so excited about serving the Lord. And there's not much room for the flesh to operate then. So he just kind of sits back and he says, okay. I'm going to watch this. And And then finally he says... Okay, I see what's going on now. If you'll just step aside. And it happens so easily. And the flesh is right back in control of our lives. Since the flesh in us is merely human, it does Christian and church activities in worldly ways. It forgets That the gospel is foolishness to the world. And it begins to attempt to make the gospel palatable to the world. And that dramatically affects the ways that we begin to treat other believers. Because if it's up to me and Scott Chandler, come on. Man. You know. What's up with that? David Parker, come on. I mean, I'm doing what needs to be done here. Before long, the flesh is asking the Lord to bless its efforts. Because after all, it's only seeking to please the Lord. In its own strength. In its own way. Well, what about those who know Scripture Very well. Those who on one side can tell you all day long why the doctrine of election should be the emphasis of every sermon. And then those on the other side who have both scripture and logical arguments to tell those on the election side why they're out of their minds and vice versa. Or at least they're thinking wrongly about the Lord. Could be baptism or Communion, I, I, you know, I just every Sunday, I know you don't always see what I'm seeing, but when Jill talks about our identity in Christ, when Bert talks about how believers have been divided over this table and over baptism, and really, these are the things about which we, over which we divide. I get it. I get we do a certain way for baptism. Let's just say that. We immerse, we receive those who have been baptized as infants if they can give a credible argument for that. That baptism being sufficient for them, and it's really not as hard as it sounds. That's a very unusual posture by any church. A lot go the other way. We, we baptize infants, but we'll also baptize adults. But not many that go 
the way we do. But when you think about all the different ways, and we talk about the closed fist and the open hand in, in, um, in grace connection, interesting over time how some people start with an open hand, but it becomes closed-fisted, and we're arguing with one another over the wrong things. Are they important things? Absolutely they are. Let me just say this. We're arguing in the wrong ways. When we put our brothers and sisters down because they have a different view of us. And it's a view, by the way, that many, many, many Orthodox believers over the years have believed. It may surprise you to know that Christianity is older than our nation's existence. It's been here since Christ, 2,000 years. And they, how far have we come when we act like these Corinthians act? I think 1 Corinthians would say we are immature. I think the Apostle Paul would say, babies. Unfortunately, much of the American evangelical world loves to make distinctions that divide us into groups and lead us to say to others, I'm better than you. Are we not infants, brothers and sisters, when we behave this way, self-included? Look, I I don't see hardly any of this spirit at Grace Community Church. It's been here in the past. It'll be here in the future. We are called to always be on guard. It is a constant struggle for most of us in one way or another to compare ourselves with one another. I probably can't help myself from saying this multiple times before we get there to 1 Corinthians 11, but Paul says... The rich are withholding from the poor. And of course there are divisions among you because otherwise how would we know who is really important in the church? He's mocking them for all the divisions that come. But we're so insecure that it really helps when we can consider ourselves to have figured it out better than the other or be better in some way or another. And when we can get other people to agree with us. Rather than be offended by such a text. Let us be grateful that the Lord has put this in our paths as a warning. So that it will not be needed as a corrective. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this good, though difficult reminder that we must work hard to listen well to your word and that we must work hard to protect the unity that is built into the portion of the body of Christ known as Grace Community Church and that we must work hard to remember and live as spiritual people those who allow you to work in their lives, often against our own thoughts about what is good and best. Give us 
hearts, Lord, that belong to you and that glorify you. And may we recognize with everything in us that Grace Community Church is yours. And we are the blessed beneficiaries of your grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.